Well, we're going to begin this morning in a fun way. There's a lot of you when you come in and your goal is to sit as far away from the front as possible. And you are really going to regret that today because I have 20 delicious, fresh chocolate chip cookies. So I'm going to pass some right here. And then uh, if you want to come over here, I have some for you. And uh, thank you. And then don't worry, I haven't forgot this side over here. Some people got word I was doing this. If you want to come forward, these are, these are for you. And then if you want to share these over here, these are for you. So if you see anybody coming to second service, tell them to sit close to the front because there's more where that came from. But you say, Scott, what does this have to do with the sermon other than getting us to like you more by giving us free cookies? Well, over the holiday season, a lot of you gave me some really delicious treats, and, uh, and I'm working out now, dedicated every day because of it. Now, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that no one ever gives the pastor broccoli. I, I don't really know why that is. I think that would be much more helpful to, the, to my bottom line. Um, but, but one of the things that happened as the result of giving me so many delicious sweets over the holidays was that my kids figured out that our house was loaded with sweets. And so nearly every night at dinner, about midway through the meal, they would start asking for dessert. And we would say, no, you can't have dessert until you finish your dinner. Now, we're good parents, so we don't give our kids dessert after every meal. That's how you create entitled children. And, and so we would only pick certain days and certain nights to give them cookies. But in, there would be some nights who said, yeah, if you finish your dinner, if you eat your broccoli, you can get a cookie. And typically, I have three kids. I have a five-year-old and three-year-old twins. And so typically, one of the three is the fast eater that day. So they're sitting there eating their cookie while the other ones are eating their broccoli. And uh, typically, some crying happens at this point. Um, and then there's typically one of them that's the slow eater for that day. And sometimes this lasts like an hour. And finally, we go, we're just done with this. You're not getting any cookies. And the Bible calls this weeping and gnashing of teeth what happens next. <laughs> And, and I've been thinking about that over the last couple weeks as I've been home a lot because I think that that's a, that's a correlation or reflection of this conversation we're beginning today called More. We're starting this new series called More, The Faith You've Always Wanted because, because we know that about 60% of you still make New Year's resolutions. And those of you that don't, you've kind of given up on change, you've kind of given up on the resolution thing, but there are probably still some areas in your life that you'd like to see different. And we know for many of us that one of those areas is this area that we're a part of today, our life with God, our relationship with him. And as we think about, man, I want more from my relationship with God. I, I want to feel closer to God. There's this faith that I've always wanted, but I've, I've never really discovered. One of the things that I've learned and been reflecting on is that like my kids, sometimes I want the right things I think everybody should want to have cookies. I don't know why you wouldn't want to have cookies. But we're not recognizing the steps that lead us there. And sometimes we're unwilling to take the steps that are right in front of us. So over the next five or six weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the steps that lead us to more. And one of the things I want to prep you for is some of them are going to be as enjoyable as the cookies that you're still tasting in your mouth. Those of you who were good, you know, uh, cornerstone people sitting near the front. But... But there also may be some steps that are like broccoli. They're the things that you don't want to do. They're the things that you've been putting off for a while and avoiding. But if you want to get to the more that God has for you, you may have to go through those. 
And so we're going to begin today with our big idea. So if you got a bulletin, you came in, I'd encourage you to pull that out and, and begin taking notes. But our big idea for this morning is this, that more begins with an encounter with Jesus. More begins with an encounter with Jesus. And I want to be really clear up front that, that this is not a motivational series. This is not a self-help series where I'm going to sit up here and try to give you a bunch of life tips to lead you to more in 2018. Somebody told me in 2017 that one of the reasons that they came to our church is that I was a really good motivational speaker. And I had good and bad feelings in that moment. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I motivate you. It's better than demotivating you. That would be really bad for my role. But on the other side, if I'm just a motivational speaker, like if I just hype you up for 35 minutes every Sunday, that's not going to lead to sustained life change. And so let me be really clear from the beginning. More doesn't begin with Scott's wisdom. More begins with an encounter with Jesus. And if in the beginning of 2019, you want to be able to say, I actually grew closer to God in 2018. I actually discovered more in my life in 2018. I actually went to a place with God that I've, I've never been before. It's not going to begin with an encounter with Scott's wisdom. It's going to begin with an encounter with Jesus. And this morning, I want to talk about a specific encounter that a man had with Jesus in the book of Luke chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, whether it's a, a physical one or a digital one, I'd encourage you to open up to the book of Luke. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, maybe you're reconnecting in church in this season. Luke is one of three biographies of Jesus's life. And Luke wasn't actually there. He wasn't actually a part of these moments. But as a doctor, he went and did a, a detailed research account of the life and teaching of Jesus. And he put it in this letter that he writes a man named Theophilus to tell him about who Jesus was, what he did, and what he was about, and what that should mean for Theophilus. And so in Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at a story that for some of you may seem familiar, but we're going to look at it in a very different light. And what we're going to find in this story are three common components to an encounter with Jesus. This is what happens in this man's encounter with Jesus. And if you're going to have an encounter with Jesus today or this year, I think these three things are going to be a part of your encounter with him too. And so I want to prepare you. The first element to an encounter with Jesus is someone who is longing for more. Every encounter with Jesus begins with a person who's longing for more. They're unsettled or unsatisfied or they're asking a question or they're dealing with a longing deep inside of them. Beginning in verse 18 of Luke 18, this is what we read. A ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now we're going to stop right there. The, the text says the word ruler, and what we know from the other account of this in Matthew's biography and from scholars' work is that this man who comes to Jesus is a young man, and he's wealthy. He hasn't had time to make his wealth. He actually inherited it. He's always lived a life where money has been no problem. And he's coming to Jesus with a question, and that question is, good teacher, so he believes Jesus is not God, he's just a good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I read that over the last few weeks, and I recognized that this man is dissatisfied and longing for more. Because if he was happy with his temporal, earthly life, why would he be concerned with eternal life? 
If he was satisfied and fulfilled with his richness and his youth, then he wouldn't be concerned with anything beyond that. But regardless of how much money he has or how he got it or where his power came from, he has this sense that he wants to know what's beyond this life. It's a sense of discontentment and dissatisfaction that's driving him. Now, as followers of Jesus, we know that in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, Paul talks to us about how he's learned to be content. He says in in Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content in any circumstance. And so sometimes we think that discontentment is a bad thing or an evil thing. And when it's fueled by comparing our lives to other people's lives on social media, yeah, it's a bad thing. But sometimes what God does is he stirs up discontentment in our hearts so that we begin taking seriously the unmet longings that lie deep within us that we've been trying to meet in all the wrong places. Some of you are here today because you're not content. You're not satisfied with what happened last year. You're not satisfied with where you are in your life right now. You have a longing for more. And that longing for more is going to lead you to an encounter with Jesus. I think sometimes that longing was birthed and fueled by Jesus. See, one of the things I've learned is that you'll never experience a different future until you become dissatisfied with the present. Your future will never look any different from this present moment until you become dissatisfied with this present moment. What we've learned from people who study change is that people don't change until the pain of staying where they are is greater than their fear of the unknown. And so until we say, I can't keep doing what I've been doing, I'm not satisfied with what I've been experiencing, we don't open ourselves up until new possibilities. And until you become dissatisfied with the present, you're never going to experience a different future. And so some of you are here today with a longing for more, and that longing is going to have to lead to a significant sense of dissatisfaction for you to see change. And one of the reasons why some of us feel dissatisfied is that what we tried to fill ourselves with in 2017 left us empty. We thought it was going to leave us fulfilled, like this young man did with his wealth and his youth, but it didn't. I don't know what you tried to fill yourself with in 2017. I don't know whether it was your work. I don't know whether it was your wealth, the state of your bank account, or your 401k. I don't know whether the things you tried to fill your life with were relationships, the admiration and approval of other people. I don't know whether it was being busy and accomplishing a lot. I don't know whether it was trying to get that person who means so much to you to finally say that they're proud of you. But many of us are here right now and we feel a nagging sense of emptiness and a longing because what we tried to fill ourselves with last year didn't actually fill us up. If that's you, here's what I want to say to you. That if what you filled yourself with in 2017 left you empty, more of the same won't help. Like if you've been trying to fill yourself with something and it didn't work, filling yourself with more of that is not going to change anything. It's only going to lead to more frustration 
This man did not need a magic time machine to get younger, or he didn't need to work harder to make more money. No, both of those things left him feeling empty. That's why he's coming to Jesus. So he doesn't need more of those things. He actually needs to look to different things. And that's why I said more begins with an encounter with Jesus, because if you're looking for more in your life this year, and what you've been looking for isn't leading you to anything, then maybe the reason you're here is you need to look to Jesus for the very first time. And so with each of these components, there's a question I want you to think about for a second. And the first question is this, where are you longing for more? Where are you longing for more? And I care so much about you answering this question that I'm going to just allow some silence in the room for you to think about it and write something down. And just to be clear, it's going to get awkward in about 15 seconds. Our encounter with Jesus begins with someone who's longing for more. The second component to an encounter with Jesus is that that longing leads someone to an encounter with Jesus. So I have this longing within me, and that longing drives me to Jesus. I don't just come to Jesus haphazardly. I don't just randomly bump into him. Hey, I didn't think I'd see you here, Jesus. No, that longing drives us to him because we recognize that we need him to be able to satisfy that longing. Beginning in verse 18, I want to go back and recap that verse as we keep going. In verse 18, as I said, it says, A ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to the man, why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. So let's be clear. He's saying, you may think I'm a good teacher, but, but I'm not good because I'm a man. Jesus is indicating only God is good. And that's another sermon for another day. He says, you know, who's good? Well, you know the commandments. These are the things you should do. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. These are like five of the big ten. And then the man says this. He says, all of these I have kept from my youth. So not only do we know this young man was young and rich and had some power, he's actually been living a pretty good life. He's been doing all of the right things. He's been taking the law seriously, and yet there is still a restlessness and discontentment and longing in his heart. And he realizes that the only resolution is to go talk to this rabbi who's attracting crowds and ask him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I find peace and fulfillment? And what's interesting is that sometimes what to the outsider looks like somebody doing all the right things or to an outsider, somebody doing all of the wrong things can actually be the exact same thing. And that's trying to satisfy the longings of a soul. Because sometimes the, the person who's making all the wrong decisions is actually looking for the exact same thing as the person who's trying to get everything perfect. 
they're trying to bring peace to their soul. They're just going about it very different. And one person who I would say definitely typically falls in this all the wrong things category um, is somebody who's made his fame for that. His name is Russell Brand. He's a comedian. And he's made his fame in Britain and in America for being one of the raunchiest comedians on the market. And let me be clear, I am not recommending you go home and watch his movies. I don't need those emails this week. But recently, Russell Brand sat down and did an interview that I found particularly compelling. And these are the words that he said to to Relevant Magazine in late 2017. He said, there's a famous quote that every man who knocks on a brothel door, he's looking for God. Crack houses and these dens of suffering and illicit activity, they're all people trying to feel good, trying to feel connected. He says, people are trying to escape. People are trying to get out of their own heads. To me, this is a spiritual impetus. He goes on to talk about how he has discovered that Jesus is the person who came to satisfy those longings in his soul. And it's only because of Jesus that he's been sober for the last 10 years. See, we look at someone and we go, why would you be going through all of those things? Well, maybe it's because they're knocking on doors, not looking for what we think they're looking for. And maybe the person that you watch who has it all together and who looks picture perfect on Instagram and Pinterest, maybe they're knocking on the door looking for the exact same thing. And that longing is going to lead them to Jesus. The the ancient priest and teacher, Augustine, said, Our hearts are restless, God, until they find their rest in thee. And when I look around, I see so many people who are doing the right things and the wrong things, but they all have the same thing in common. They're restless. And it's those kinds of people that I think about every single time I write a sermon. Because they're in the room every single time I give a sermon. And that, that moment that I think about them, I go to what, what I call the kitchen table. I've got a kitchen table over here. And, and many of you sat around a kitchen table, not that different from this, for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. You know, at my house at Thanksgiving, my parents' house, we had my kids who were five and three, and we had my brother and his girlfriend and my wife and I who are in our 20s and 30s, and we had parents who were in their 60s. My grandparents were there a couple years ago. They're in their 80s, and we all sat around the same table, and to some degree or another, we, we, we ate the same meal. Now, we ate ours more happily and quickly than my kids did. They wanted to fight about everything they'd never seen before, <laughs> even though we know they saw it last year at Thanksgiving. And they ate more mashed potatoes. And when they were little, they didn't really eat a lot of crescent rolls. We saved those for us. We cut up their turkey into really small pieces. But we all ate the same meal. And every time we gather here as a church, I think about a kitchen table. Because as a church, we have people seated seated in all these seats. There are some of you in this room right here that are sitting in this chair. You're sitting in the high chair. And it's not that you're a baby in age. You're a baby, you're a toddler when it comes to your knowledge of God. If I asked you to find the book of Hezekiah, you wouldn't know where to look. You wouldn't know there is no book of Hezekiah. You don't know all the answers and all the stories. Some of you have never heard this story before. And so I need to write and speak in a way that you will understand and know that it's okay that you're here. You don't know all the answers. 
And I have to speak in that way because some of you want to invite your friends and you want to make sure that if they come, they're not going to be judged or left out because they don't know all the answers. There's others of you in this room that in the last few years you've gotten baptized or you come back to church and you can find all the books in your Bible without needing the index. But there's still some things you don't know and there's others of you who've been following Jesus longer than I've been alive. And you know more of the Bible than I do. And you're looking for something new or something that's from God that you need to hear. And every Sunday when we come, we have to speak to every person who's sitting in these seats. And I have to tell you, it'd be way easier to be a church for just this seat. It'd be way easier. It'd be way easier to be a church for people in this seat. I could do five or six Greek work studies every day. I could use big theological terms that I spent a lot of money on in seminary. And that'd be way easier. But that is not an option if we're going to be the church God's called us to be. Because everybody has a longing for something that's leading them to Jesus. And each of these people, each of you need an encounter with Jesus. And each of you are coming with a question to Jesus today that you want answered. And so my question for you is this. What are you asking Jesus? This year, as 2018 begins, what are you asking Jesus In the same way this man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What question are you bringing, Jesus? Is it God, where were you when I was abused? Is it God, where were you when that happened to my family this year? Is it God, do you love me unconditionally because my earthly father told me he sure didn't? Is it Is it, God, you told me that if I was faithful to you, that you would bring somebody into my life and I wouldn't be alone, and yet I'm still single? What's up with that? What are you asking Jesus? Because I believe your question is just as important as his was. So the first element to an encounter with Jesus is someone who's longing for more. The second one is that that longing leads to an encounter with Jesus. And the third one is that Jesus reveals their next step. Jesus reveals their next step. Somebody has a longing in their heart. It leads them to an encounter with Jesus. And then Jesus responds to their question or their longing. And he makes it clear what their next step is. In this story that happens in verse 22. When Jesus heard this man say that I've kept all these commandments, Jesus said to him, one thing you still lack. He said, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And the man, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And in another passage, it says that he became extremely sad and he walked away. Here it says, Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who were there with him, they said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible for man is possible for God. See, this is not the answer the man came expecting. He expected more good things to do. And what Jesus did is he identified the man's next step to following him and says, this is actually what you need to do next. 
Not what everybody needs to do next. Because he didn't turn to Peter and James and John and say, and you guys sell all you have. He says, no, for you, the one thing that stands in your way of more is everything you've accumulated. And until you stop looking to fill yourself with those things, you'll never discover life with me. See, what's really funny is that some of you came today expecting to to hear something that would lead you closer to God. And what you may discover is that the next step God wants you to take is not what you wanted to hear. God's kind of funny like that. We had all of our options of the next steps that we could totally take today if Jesus would just say, yep, that's the one. And he goes, how about this over here? What about this one? Uh, You could have picked anything but that one, Jesus. And reflecting on this reality, one of the questions that I wanted to share with you today was this. What if more means a next step you weren't expecting? What if more this year in your life with God means a next step that you weren't expecting? And that Jesus reveals to you that the next thing he wants you to do is not what you were expecting. You're not really a big fan of it. And it means some loss in your life in an area you're not ready to let go. In talking about this reality, best-selling author and Bible teacher Lisa Turkhurst said this. She said that if we want to grow closer to God this year, we'll have to distance ourselves from whatever is distracting us. See, this is why I hate how this story has been pigeonholed. The rich young ruler story in Luke 18 gets pigeonholed as a story about how all of us love money too much and we seem to sell it all and give it all away. And that's not what this passage is saying. It's saying that all of us, if we have a longing for being closer with God, we all have something that we need to distance ourselves from because it's that thing that's going to keep us from God, whether it's money or something else. Some of you are perfectly content with money and money's not an idol for you. And you read this story and go, not for me, I'm off the hook. No. Jesus is saying to you that there's something else that you lack. There's something that you've remained attached to. And if you're going to go closer to Jesus, you're going to have to leave that behind. And that next step might be something that you're not expecting. And it might lead you to a fork in the road that you don't like. See, this is where as a church, we want to talk about how we view discipleship. You see, some churches view discipleship as taking a series of classes and listening to someone lecture you. No, at its core, discipleship is a series of next steps. Discipleship is doing the next right thing that God puts in front of you. Because it's those series of steps that will lead you to more, not a library of all the classes you've taken and learned things about God. See, when Jesus is interacting with his disciples, he's teaching them things and then he's challenging them to put them into practice. Discipleship is a series of next steps. This is why I don't care if you have perfect attendance at church this year. Because perfect attendance isn't the point. Attending church. You know the next one. 
Attending church doesn't change your life. Encountering God and taking a next step does. And so if you want to step into more, I think being here is supremely important. But if you're here and, and you're just looking for about 30 minutes of some encouragement and you're looking to leave and you're not actually going to put into practice what happens here, it would be better if you stayed home. Because attendance doesn't change your life. Encountering God and taking your next step does. And that's why for us, everything is about taking your next step. I've talked enough about the concept. And so this morning, what I want to do is share with you the visual and real embodiment of it. And so this morning, I'm going to ask my friend Terry to join me on stage. Would you welcome Terry this morning? All throughout this series, each week, we're going to share with you some thoughts. Can we grab Terry's microphone too? That'll prove to be important in a minute. Each week, I'm going to share with you for about 25 or 30 minutes, and then we're going to bring somebody up here whose life embodies what we're talking about. And Terry's a bit of a crier, so he's getting prepared in advance. (laughs) Now, Terry, um, a couple years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, um, you were in not that different a position than this man we just read about. Correct. You were going through some things in your life that were leaving you significantly unsettled. Very much. Why don't you tell us about that? Um... I had been going through a few um, relationship issues, divorce, um, people who were supposedly my friends kind of um, abandoned me, and I felt that I was in a dark hole where there was no light, there was no way to get out. Um, I pretty much had been going from one bad job to another, to another, to another, living paycheck to paycheck, um, wondering where my next meal was coming from, wondering if I was going to have a roof over my head, um, to the point of I just was tired. I was done living. Um, I had wanted to end my life at that point in time. My uh, younger sister, who lives in California, had been battling cancer for the second time, and her faith was amazingly strong. And I used to call her and ask her, how do you do it? How how do you have your faith as strong as you do? it just baffled me. And she said, you just have to do it. You, you have to just trust in God. You need to find a place to go, uh, find a church somewhere who will listen to what you have to say. And that's when you uh, encountered somebody who's a part of Cornerstone. Correct. Um, I had um, known Todd, Todd and Kelly for a number of years. I used to work with Kelly at a, um, a job a few years back. And um, she had reached out to me and said, you need to come to Cornerstone. Well, at that time, she said, you need to come to church with me and Todd. And I, at that point, didn't realize she was coming here. I thought she was going to another service or another church. And I told her, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't think that that's what I need. She said, no, I'm going to a different place. It's called Cornerstone. You need to come. So I finally bit the bullet, and I said, fine, I'll meet you guys there, and um, we'll see what it's about. At this point, I was still borderline agnostic. I don't want to say atheist because I still question the presence of God. Um, and at that point, she said, come to church, and I came. And, and then what happened? Every sermon you gave for the next six months, I probably went through a whole box of these Kleenex. 
because it was as if you were talking directly to me, not to anyone else in the room, but to me. And at that point, that's when I realized that it was God talking to me through you. And um, ever since then, each time I come, I just feel like this is home. Like this is a warm, comfortable place for me to be. People are friendly. People are genuine. Um, there, I've had, there was one Sunday I want to make sure we, mm-hmm. we talk about. I think you were sitting kind of right here off the middle aisle. Yes. And um, I could tell that you were especially emotional that day. Yeah. And um, something was happening. What happened at the end of that service? What happened in that service? It was, um, are you talking about when I came up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sermon just really reached out and it was, I can't, it's so hard to explain sometimes. It was like somebody came over to me and just wrapped their arms around me and said, everything's going to be fine. And you would ask for people to come up to have prayers um, for them. And I looked at Todd and Kelly, of course, you know, teary eyed and, um, I just had this drawn to come up to the front. It's so hard for me to even put into words or explain how I felt. It just, walking up here, I actually felt welcomed. I actually felt like I was part of this family. Um, And I got down on my knees and I prayed. Um, And it just turned my life around to the point of, although I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, I do have a roof over my head, but I feel like I actually have a place in my life and the direction that I'm going. Um, I've had some changes in my life. I've had some, uh, God's reached out to talk to me about where he wants me to be now. Um, and I think I know what I need to do at this point. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going in that direction. So on that day, you came forward, you prayed with somebody, uh, and you gave your life to Christ that day. Um, and then this, this first Sunday in January last year, mm-hmm. you got baptized. I did. And um, you, uh, I posted yesterday on my Facebook page, I said, you know, it was the most courageous thing you did in 2017. Right. You were the first comment. Uh, right. And you said that I got up and told people my story and got baptized. Correct. And, yeah. um, and that was a big step for you. That was a real big step for me because, again, I still wasn't 100% sure that this was what I was looking for. Um, I think I had said that day, um, I thought I had control of my life. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought that nobody, there's, there's no supreme being that's telling me which direction I need to go or what's in store for me in my life. It was all me. I was doing it. And I realized at that point that it was not me, that I had not control of my life, that God has control of my life. And for me to turn my back on him and say, I have control of my life was foolish. Um, the day that I again realized that I needed to be rebaptized again, um, because I had been baptized decades ago, but I didn't know the meaning of it then. Uh, this time around, it meant more to me than any other time that I'd been baptized. And so you're taking next steps. You're involved in one of our community groups now on Monday yes, night. Yes, I'm, I'm in the com- community group on Mondays and, and then um, the gentleman's group on Saturdays. And, uh, and then we're looking to help you get involved in serving yeah. in 2018. I want to I do what I can for the church. Um, anything I can do to help serve other people. Um, I know my story is probably trite to some. They might think, well, you know, other people have things worse off than you, and I agree. Um, but at that point in my life, I thought that was the end. I thought it was done. I didn't want to do anything more. I was tired. 
And, and God spoke to you. And then I had Kelly and Todd threw me a lifeline and said, come with me. Well, I'm really grateful that you're here, Terry, and I'm really grateful that you're taking next steps, and I, I truly believe that God's going to continue to, to light the path for you. So if you guys encouraged Terry this morning, thank you so much for sharing. One of the reasons I wanted Terry to share, and he talked about his story, is that sometimes I think we romanticize or over-spiritualize what transformation looks like. And sometimes it's as simple as what his story is, is that he just kept taking the next step. It was, I'm going to reach say yes to this person who invited me, and then I'm going to keep coming, and I feel like I need to come forward and pray, and then I feel like I need to get baptized, and then I feel like I need to get involved in a group. And, and sometimes I think we think that we need to have the next 18 steps lined up for ourselves. And that becomes our excuse to not take the one right in front of us. And so this morning, my prayer, if, if nothing else in this message, is that God was going to speak to you and show you what your next step was. Not your 27th step. Not your step in 2027. But your next step today. And so in the time that we have left, I want to just walk through with you practically what some of those next steps might look like. And if you're having an encounter with Jesus today, what you should do with it. And so if you turn your hand over on the back, there's just three things I want to walk through with you. The first one is this. When you have an encounter with Jesus, I think it is supremely important that you look for the application. Not that you look for, okay, what did I learn from that? Or, or what is God teaching me from that? But what does God want me to do with that? Because I believe that many of us, especially for those of you that are sitting in this far seat over here on the, on this, on the, on the kitchen table, the big challenge that we face, because I've spent my whole life in church, is that we are over-educated and under-applied. There are some of you that could live on apl- applying the sermons you've heard up until your life right now and never hear another sermon again for years. And that doesn't mean I'm going to stop giving sermons. But I'm going to challenge you. I mean, last year I read 40 books. I was really proud of myself last week until I realized how many of the words and the ideas from the million pages plus that I read last year. Sorry, million words, not million pages. That'd be a lot of pages to read. How many of them did I apply? Look for the application. And that's why on your handout today, you're going to notice a new section underneath the next steps. And that section is this. It says, based on what I heard God say to me today, I will blank. Each week on your handout, starting today, for the foreseeable future, we're going to challenge you at the end of every message to commit to doing something with what you heard. Because the only messages that change us are the ones that when tomorrow comes and the next day comes, we're taking steps in light of it. That's how I measure a sermon. I don't measure based upon how many good comments I get in the lobby. I measure it based upon how we apply it. Second step, look for the application. Number two, take action immediately. Take action immediately. Don't put off that application and that action when you know the right thing to do. In another place in the Gospels, Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. 
He said, and everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. If you want your life to be built on the rock, then you need to be applying what you hear. My name isn't Nostradamus. I don't predict the future, but I will tell you one thing that I know about your life this year. You are going to face a crisis. It could be in your family. It could be in your health. It could be in your finances. And if you take action based upon what you heard and you put into practice what Jesus is saying to you, he's saying here, Matthew 7, that your life will be built on a rock that is him, the cornerstone, and you will not be overcome. Terry, you're here right now, I believe, because you built your life on the rock. And I want to encourage you to keep building on the rock because the hard days aren't done. But if you build it there and you apply what you hear and you keep taking next steps, you will endure. So my question for you is, are you putting off something God's already told you to do? Is there something from 2017 that God told you to do that you haven't done yet? And you're asking God for something new to do and God's like, what about back there? That's your next step. Not something new. Living out something I already told you. And then finally, number three, I want you to choose engagement over attendance. I want this year to not just be about us being in this room physically. I want to challenge you that when you have an encounter with Jesus, don't just be present in the encounter, but be engaged. As I said earlier, the difference between attendance and engagement is next steps. And I truly believe that the reason that our church exists, we are here to help people take their next steps towards Jesus. All around the table. Because all of us have next steps. For this person right over here, it might be putting your faith in Jesus and getting baptized. For the person over here, it might be actually getting involved in a small group and serving. And for the person over here, it might be recognizing that after 50 years of following Jesus, you don't come to church to get fed. You are the church and you are responsible for feeding others. This person is the one who can't feed themselves. This is the person who should know to feed, how to feed themselves by now and should be looking for ways to feed others. More begins with an encounter with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for what you're going to do in our lives in 2018. We don't know what the year is going to hold. And if 2017 was any indication, it could be a crazy year. God, I believe that many of us are going to face crises that we didn't plan for or expect. We're going to deal with challenges we didn't see coming. And yet, I believe that you are going to walk with us in this year in the same way that you walked with us through last year. And I believe for each of us, regardless of where we stand, Jesus, you're showing us what our next step is. You've spoken to me this week as I've prepared this message that there are things in my life that didn't work in 2017 and it would be foolish to just continue to live the same way. And so you're putting challenging steps in front of me, God. Steps that are going to require more courage and boldness and trust in you than I've ever had before. And that makes me uncomfortable, makes me scared. 
I'd rather have you tell me something else, but I know what you've told me. And so I pray that you'd give me the strength to take those steps. And I pray that for my friends who are in this room and watching, that you would show them too. That we would not be like the rich young ruler who walked away because we didn't like the next step you showed us. But that we would be like the man who built our house on the rock. And we pray that you would lead us, that you'd show us what's next and you'd give us the faith and courage to take that step. And with each step, that you would light our path. God, we know that you want more for us than we've ever imagined for ourselves. And we pray that you would give us the grace and the clarity of sight to see what our next step is on that road. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.